Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Enlightened investors, welcome back to Real Estate Investing Abundance. I'm your host, Dr. Alan, and it is a, indeed a pleasure to be back with you again today. We are going to be visiting with Peter Richter, and Peter is going to share with us investing strategies in the new interest rate environment. Uh, Peter, with his extensive experience in investor relations and asset management, directs strategic initiatives at Interwest Capital. Formerly, he was with Davlin Investments. He managed $85 million in equity placement and led ESG initiatives. His multifamily industry experience includes roles at Holland Residential, Pinnacle International, and UDR overseeing a diverse San Diego platform. So welcome to the show, Peter, and take us into the show and share an experience that may have helped you to be who you are today. Thank you for having me, Dr. Lomax. I would say a formal, an experience that really impacted my trajectory in the industry in my life was when I met a gentleman in, um, I guess it was 2000 and I guess it was about 2013. And I met a guy here in San Diego who manages, um, who owned a portfolio of rental homes. At the time I had just moved out here, we were um, still kind of recovering from the great financial crisis. And I didn't have a job and he hired me to help him manage some of these rental properties. Um, that was really my first introduction into real estate, real estate management. And um, I really credit that. And it was a you know chance encounter. And um, he really gave me a lot of responsibility and I helped him grow his company. And that was my foot in the door for property management. Interesting. Were you looking for something in real estate? Or, uh, you know, I had, uh, I don't want to get off topic here, but I had moved out here for a girl who is now my wife and I had nothing. So I was just looking for a job in general and I just stumbled into real estate through that opportunity. Synchronicity. Yep. Well, interesting beginning there. Uh, so take us from that introduction into real estate and through the through actually the that introduction and into actually becoming uh, an actual investor in real estate. Sure. Um, so he hired me to help manage his portfolio. We really got the management dialed in. And soon he asked me to start leasing his houses once leasing season began. But it was mostly student housing. He asked me to help lease. So I really learned from him the process of boots on the ground, property management, and leasing. I worked there for a few years, and through acquisition, they grew from about 80 units to about 300. And then I was approached by a company, a West Coast developer, a very prominent West Coast developer here called Holland Residential. And they hired me as an assistant manager for a new mid-rise, luxury mid-rise they had just built. So I was fortunate. I had a great uh, mentor there, a manager, who really had a ton of experience in 
real multifamily, institutional multifamily management. I worked there for a while um, and I was soon recruited by another company nearby in downtown San Diego. And through that opportunity, I landed with UDR. And I think UDR is where I learned the most um, from the investor relations front. So I started with UDR managing a mid-rise of about 240 units. And they had a vacancy in the manager role at a nearby high-rise. So they asked me if I could manage both of them. I accepted the offer. And then I soon accepted another building into my portfolio with UDR. So at that point, I was managing three um, large downtown properties for UDR. And all three of those properties were part of a joint venture between UDR, who's one of the larger residential REITs in the country, and MetLife, the insurance company. So as part of my role, I would interface with our asset managers at MetLife. And that's where I really learned how to communicate the operations of the property efficiently and effectively. And I learned that kind of relationship skills with a you know, third-party investor. Then I eventually accepted a role with a company called Davlin Investments. They are a um, San Diego-based syndicator. And they, at the time, owned properties throughout California. And they brought me on in an asset manager role. Um, they, we soon realized after working there for a little bit that I was constantly communicating the um, performance of the property to investors. So then they had me kind of lead and build out their investor relations department. Um, they thought that I'm me being the person who's directly overseeing the asset management, I was probably the most qualified to communicate that to investors. And then in turn, raise capital from said investors. From Davlin, I now work at Interwest Capital, and I am more focused on the capital markets and investing side. Um, I still do oversee our investor relations, but um, a big part of my role is bringing in new investors and managing the relationships with our current investors, both individual investors and institutions. Mm. Well, interesting. Well, uh, just looking at uh, the markets over the past uh, 14 months, how has uh, investor appetite uh, changed? One of the big differences I've noticed is a shift towards um, a yield-driven investment strategy where investors now don't want to rely. As the market softens, a lot of the markets have softened uh, as far as rent growth is concerned, and obviously cap rates have expanded a bit. A lot of investors want to focus more on immediate cash-on-cash cash return, so their, their yield. And because of that, one of the big... Um, kind of one of the important criteria right now for investors is having positive leverage either at the time of acquisition or achieving positive leverage within 12 months of acquisition. So they want to see a spread between your cap rate, your going in cap rate, and the interest rate on your debt. So then you actually can achieve a meaningful yield. Um, I think when you look at cash on cash return, it is, you know, it's a, the higher the cash on cash return, the de-risks the deal a bit, right? Because you're just banking cash now instead of banking on a uh, profitable exit or as profitable an exit. So um, I think that's a trend towards kind of de-risking investments. So that uh, so that that lowers the overall return on investment, but it also lowers 
the 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 loan to value on that, which which takes risk out of the or yeah. reduces the yeah. risk. People people are using slightly lower leverage now because so many of my peers have gotten burned by using the high octane loans over the past couple of years that were floating rate or just high leverage. So yeah, there's been a shift towards uh, lower leverage points. Yeah, that uh, that often happens when when the market is really hot and lenders are willing to lend. People find themselves in trouble when that cycle comes to an end, which it always does. Um, but uh, oftentimes, uh, particularly new investors who haven't been through several cycles uh, have found themselves in. So have you experienced a change in the capital flow uh, on both the institution and the retail uh, investor side? Definitely. Um, on the institutional side, a lot of institutions that we work with um, have gotten a little bit tighter with their underwriting, with their assumptions and what they'll permit in underwriting. Additionally, I've seen a lot of previously common equity investors now pivot to preferred equity. They want to deploy preferred equity instead of common equity, foregoing some potential upside for a safer position in the capital stack. Um, obviously, common equity is subordinate to preferred equity, which is subordinate to the debt. So by being in the PREF position, you're in a little bit safer position than the common equity. So it's funny, a lot. it almost happened overnight. A lot of common equity investors who we're speaking with, and you know, I, part of my job is to have constant, be in constant communication with them. All of a sudden, they shifted the conversation to, oh, well, let's just talk about our preferred equity platform. And when they recently, I mean, we've seen people taking on PREF at 12 to 15%. Um, I actually, we actually talked to a group last week who put out PREF at 20%. Um, it was a distressed deal and they were coming in as rescue capital. But when you start getting those types of yields and um, you're in a preferred position over common equity, it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, you just, you know, give up some of the upside. For private investors, um, you know, I think private investors, there's a little bit less liquidity um, floating around. They are a little bit more discerning. I think, again, cash on cash return, um, uh, you know, year one is very important. That's become an important value. And they don't, I don't think private investors are as keen on waiting to the exit to really realize all their gains. They want to have uh, some steady cash flow during the whole period. Enlightened investors, if you haven't done so already, be sure and click that like button and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content. And finally, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episodes. Yeah, so I mean, all of that, uh, I, mean, I mean, really corresponds with higher prep and the cash flow. I'm surprised at the 20% of It was, and let me, let me be clear, it was a distressed deal um, mm. in a market that's oversupplied. And I think the PREF was probably going up to somewhere in the 90% loan value. Mm. So it was, I don't think that's yeah. typical, but yeah, mm. we, it was a real thing. Wow. That is, that is interesting. That'll be interesting to see how that deal flows out there. 
<laughs> I, I hope they had their numbers. I hope they went through the numbers really well. So where do you see the opportunities coming from in this current economic landscape? A couple different, couple different areas. Um, we are looking at builders um, buying directly from merchant builders who are now you know, delivering in a much different market than they anticipated and potentially acquiring class A properties before, you know, CO or during the lease up process, even at a discount to replacement cost in strong markets. Now, unfortunately, a lot of that development was focused in areas that had like significant supply. So you have to kind of underwrite whether it's concessions or softening rents or what have you. Um, that's an opportunity. And we're, in, we're seeing some opportunities to get mid-teens IRR, to achieve a mid-teens IRR on Class A product, which was probably unheard of you know, a couple years ago. So that's an opportunity we're seeing. We're also, obviously, we're following a lot of deals that transacted during 2020, 2021, and 2022, for that matter, that we know had a typical value-add renovation play plan and are now probably assumed or probably secured um, floating rate debt who are now feeling the pain. So we are coming, we are looking at some opportunities there where we can either work it out with the lender or work it out with the owner. Um, and so they can at least walk away somewhat intact. And we're still getting a problem. One of our criteria, some of our criteria is, you know, we acquire real estate at below replacement cost, a meaningful discount to replacement cost. And um, I think there's an opportunity for that now. So I guess what you're, what you're telling us here is that there are a lot of builders that are hurting and they're having to discount properties just to get out uh, halfway intact. Uh, but selling at less than um, than cost, they're obviously taking a loss on that. Um, well, I would say less than current replacement costs, land included. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if someone bought the land in 2017, started construction in 2019, delivering in 2023, 20, they could still come out with a profit. Um, it's just less than it would cost to build today. Okay, I see. So, ha have you have you closed on any of those uh, opportunities? And uh, you were saying that concessions and different things are coming into that. Uh, how has how has the acquisition gone? So it's been slower, definitely slower. I mean, we, we're a categorically conservative firm, so we have pretty strict mandates on what we how we acquire real estate. We got very close on a deal in Chicago recently that was, we were buying directly from the builder. It was a high rise in a desirable area of Chicago. We had our equity more or less lined up, but interest rates kept moving. And it got to the point where we realized that the building is probably worth a little bit less than the debt on it. So at that point, with the seller's permission, we tried to create a structure which involved a hope note um, down the road and maybe a DP, a discounted payoff um, from the lender. Unfortunately, um, it didn't work out. Um, the lender did, wasn't as uh, flexible as we were hoping. So that one fell through. 
Um, we now have a great deal in Chattanooga, Tennessee under contract. We're buying it from a large REIT who, um, another opportunity, they had a, uh, they were unable to execute on their renovation strategy. And we love Chattanooga. Chattanooga is one of those markets that has had real growth, but without the crazy supply of some of its peers. So um, that's a deal we have right now under contract. We're hoping to close. It's loan. Oh, and that's another opportunity. We're looking at loan assumptions now. That's a loan assumption. Um, we're assuming the debt, the the senior debt at 3.86%. We're going to layer on a supplemental loan um, with a blended rate comes out to somewhere around 4.7. So we're able to, and we're going in at a six cap. So we're able to achieve meaningful um, cash on cash return by with positive leverage right off the bat. That's, that's a good example of an opportunity. It's a, this is a property that we had reached out to many times over the past five years. Uh, we own the adjacent property, so we're able to apply some economies of scale. And uh, yeah, so that's that's what's on the forefront right now for us. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a really good opportunity there. And there probably are uh, a good number of those from the things I've been looking at and hearing and seeing. Those kind of opportunities should continue really through uh, through 24, maybe even yeah. to 25. Unfortunate for, uh, for the owners. But uh, but good for sellers um, in, in that particular way. So go, going back to this uh, Chicago property, the bank was inflexible on that, and yet that that owner is between a rock and a hard place. So you just so is there maybe a possibility that the bank will come back to you, or they're going to have, or they may have to foreclose on that, which they probably don't want to do but uh, well that's an interesting uh question alan it's not a the lender is not a bank the lender is a group who also ha who has a lending platform but also um has a uh a direct ownership platform mm -hmm. so this group in particular would be very comfortable taking the property over so, mm -hmm. well, yeah so well i can see why they they were inflexible yeah <laughs> It's interesting uh, that you are that you're looking at a class properties that has uh, that has just not been a very attractive market for most most syndicators just because there isn't a whole lot of upside. But you are finding upside in that, and I find that really interesting. That because it is not a market that I had thought of of even uh, considering. But here in the southeast, particularly in Atlanta and the Charlotte, uh, Raleigh, Durham areas, there's just been a whole lot of building uh, in the A-class area mm -hmm. in the last uh, few years. And so th there may be some good opportunities there, probably a lot in Florida uh, as well. So good, uh, good information there. What do you really see for acquisition in terms of what are the challenges uh, in the multifamily space going into 24 and on into 25? I would say the biggest challenge over the last year has been a, has just been a disconnect between buyers and sellers mm -hmm. and get, getting um, sellers to kind of come around to the, you know, as we discussed the, this new interest rate environment. And yes, the Fed has, implied that they may cut some in 2024, 
There's no guarantee. Um, I think a lot of people in the space believe that we're going to have a higher interest rate environment for longer, maybe not as high as it is now, but still elevated from where it was in 2019, 2020. So really getting buyers to understand what their property is worth. And they were getting by. I think there's a lot of transactions um, early 2023 and 2022, which were the result of 1031s or DSTs, where people had sold for you know, a windfall. They just wanted to avoid cap, capital gains tax. Or, and because of that, they were willing to accept a lower return, which in turn, which allowed them to pay up for properties a little bit. Well, you know, those transactions have all but dried up. Um, people aren't, unfortunately, there's not as many people trying to avoid capital gains right now. So with that party over, I think one of the big challenges is getting, I mean, we don't want to see anybody in pain. We, we don't wish upon nobody, but you know, it's sometimes it takes a little bit for sellers to really realize what, you know, they have to sell at a reasonable price. I mean, what is the property worth in this new environment? That's a big challenge. Obviously debt. We have some development projects as well. Securing the financing has been a challenge for those, but you know, if you have, if you have a good land basis and a, you're building to a good yield on cost, um, there's still money available. Well, Peter, tell us about uh, your company and uh, what opportunities that you have for our audience and how they can get in touch with you. Sure. Um, Interwest Capital is a real estate investment firm based out of San Diego, actually La Jolla, which is just outside San Diego. And we've been around for 20 years. We started um, by acquiring non-performing debt and acquiring real estate through that process. Then we started directly uh, purchasing real estate. We are involved in both hospitality and multifamily, but mostly focused on multifamily. And um, yeah, so we started historically, we've capitalized our deals with institutional investors. However, we've always brought in, I think they started with family and friends mostly, and that investor base has grown. One of the attractive things about Interwest Capital is that as for a retail or individual investor, you're often investing alongside a institution. Um, a lot of our investors like that, knowing that they have the manpower and that you've got an institution also underwriting and approving the deal. It kind of gives them some peace of mind. You can reach anyone who's listening. Uh, you can reach out to me, Peter, at interwestcapital.com. I'm happy to chat. Um, discuss upcoming opportunities, like for instance, this Chattanooga deal I mentioned. We are in the capital raising process right now. It looks like we may have secured our um, cornerstone institutional investor, which is great. So now we're just filling the gap, the equity gap in the equity stack with some private investors. So that's an opportunity. Um, and yeah, we, you know, we, we're not a volume shop, Alan. So we're not one of those groups that does a deal a month or, you know, six deals a year. If we do three a year, we're pretty happy. Um, and that's because we have the ability to really sit, be patient and pick our pitches. Um, and I think that's something also our investors like. Yeah. Um, good, solid track record and, yeah. uh, and conservative underwriting investors always are looking for that kind of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Peter, it has been uh, enjoyable having you. Thank you for the insights that you have shared with us. I appreciate you being on the show with us today. Thanks for having me, Alan, um, Dr. Lomax. Have a great holiday. And to all your listeners, feel free to reach out to me anytime.
And enlightened investors, thank you so much for being with us again today. We really appreciate uh, your presence with us. Please take a moment to like, share, and subscribe, and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. It makes a whole lot of difference for our show. So thank you so much for being with us. And until next time, live and prosper, and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care. Enlightened investors, wait, wait, don't go just yet. I just want to remind you about our recently launched webinar that you will not want to miss. If you're at all curious and would like to learn more about how real estate investing can diversify your investment portfolio, alleviate the anxiety associated with Wall Street swings, leverage your 401ks and IRAs to substantially increase the return on your investment, and do all of this with turnkey, hands-off, passive real estate investments, then you'll want to immediately go to stetalker.com forward slash webinar. In the webinar, we'll also address the common dubious investment schemes that you want to avoid. To access the webinar, go to stetalker.com forward slash webinar. I look forward to seeing you in the webinar. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance brought to you by Steve Talker Capital a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.